it's okay to put kids into situations in which somebody wins and somebody loses. In fact, it's good practice in being able to handle those situations. And if you have a child that's a bad loser, you want to say, we're going to be in this arena. If you lose, how are you going to feel, do you think? And the child might say, I feel angry. Also, another thing that happens too when you're in a competition is that the more intense that kids feel, particularly if they're losing, they start accusing other people of cheating, which is not good socially. Welcome to season six of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious. And I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. And I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. Hey, Lynn, guess what? What? It's Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) So you might wonder, why are we here in your podcast feed on a Tuesday? Yeah, because we're Friday girls. We are Friday girls. You're my gal Friday. You're my gal Friday. We are going to do a couple of mini episodes a month on Tuesdays, and this is the very first one. Mm -hmm. This is our initial opening mini episode. One of the things that I said to Lynn because I have been doing this podcast with you now since 2020, and you have changed my life. It's like being in therapy with you because we talk every week and I've had the benefit of really thinking about all of the principles you teach. And every time I talk with my friends and we talk about problems with our families, with our kids, I realize the language you stick with is always about skill building and the power of skills and looking at ourselves as a combination of different emotional skills. Mm -hmm. True. Right. Social and emotional skills. We hear that term a lot, like you hear a lot about SEL and social emotional learning. That language is bantied about a lot, but it actually means something. And so when we really focus on what are the skills that we want to build, it's powerful stuff. So in that first season, you mentioned that there's no such thing as self-sabotage. It's that people don't have a certain skill or their skill is pretty weak and they need to strengthen it. Right. And I think this is a game changer. It's not really about personality. It's about skill. Right. And it's about skills that you can use in all sorts of different situations too. Equipping kids, equipping our families with really universal, usable skills that make your relationships better and make your life better. And your emotional management easier. Correct. So these many episodes, we're going to focus on one set of skills, and maybe it's one that your kids need. Maybe it's one that you need a little help with, because you know what? Adults need to strengthen their skills too. Nobody has every skill down. Yes. And I will emphasize, as usual, that modeling is really powerful. So (laughs) even if you think like, well, yeah, I got this skill, it's really helpful to think about how you're going to demonstrate it to your kids, because you are modeling, modeling, modeling. So Lynn, today, what is the first skill we are going to talk about? The first skill is how to be not only a good loser, but a good winner. Because one of the things that I hear a lot from families, and remember, like we talk about family fun and enjoying your time together, is that if you can't play a game or have like a fun competition and be able to handle losing in particular, but also winning, then it makes it really hard to have fun. Playing Scrabble, playing checkers, being in Little League, having a game of tag with your friends, if you can't manage that, then 
people don't want to hang around with you. So many families that I talk to, they say, oh, we'd love to have a game night, but if we play Candyland and our son loses, he flips over the board or he quits in the middle of Parcheesi. Let's talk about some Candyland for a second, because what you just said, and when you're talking to that family in therapy and they say, well, we can't really have a game night, they're likely thinking it's because of the temperament or the personality of our child who makes this really volatile. Mm -hmm. But instead- How should we be thinking about this? Well, and certainly the temperament can have a part in it, but you got to parent the kid you got. And so if you have a kid that's got a pretty competitive temperament or a rigid temperament, or if you've got a kid who you have modeled perfectionism and rigidity and winning at all costs, you want to talk very directly. And I think one of the things that'll come across in a lot of these mini episodes that we're talking about skills is that it really is about transparency and talking about the skill you're trying to teach. Don't keep it a secret. So say you've got a kid who has a lot of difficulty with losing and you say, you know what, we're going to practice that. We're going to play checkers or we're going to have a family game night and you are going to either win or lose. Most kids don't have difficulty with winning, although I've been around bad winners. They're kids that gloat or that they're unkind to other kids. Being able to say, in this situation, what are the skills that we have to develop? Losing is harder than winning, of course, but it's the other side of the same coin. There was always a kid who was a bad sport, but he was the kid that when we were playing a game, if things didn't go his way, If he was losing, if we were having some sort of fun game at the pool that we used to go to when we were little, he would be the one that would throw a temper tantrum or quit. And everybody would be like, oh, come on, JJ, come on. Like the kids would be begging him not to have this reaction. It's okay. I'm sure he doesn't listen to the podcast. If we think about being in competition, What you want to say to your kids is that if we are going to enter into this domain, number one is that we have to expect that we're going to have strong feelings because competition brings up feelings or else you wouldn't be competing. It's okay to put kids into situations in which somebody wins and somebody loses. In fact, it's good practice in being able to handle those situations. And if you have a child that's a bad loser, you want to say, we're going to be in this arena. If you lose, how are you going to feel, do you think? So we want to bolster that emotional literacy. How do you think you'll feel or how do you feel when you lose? And the child might say, I feel angry. I feel sad. Sometimes kids blame themselves. So they worry that if they lose, that meant that they made a mistake, that they're responsible for the loss. Sometimes kids blame other kids like, oh, if only he had done this right, we wouldn't have lost. Also, another thing that happens too when you're in a competition is that the more intense that kids feel, particularly if they're losing, they start accusing other people of cheating, which is not good socially. We've talked about blame a lot. Right. Right. So it's just like the cousin of blame. Correct. So what you want to do is, first of all, you want to step into this arena. You want to talk to your kids about the feelings they might have. And you might even say, what are the difference between the feelings we have when we win and the feelings we have when we lose? Most kids know these feelings and you can give them the words if they need the words. And then you can say, we're going to experiment by playing a game. So maybe at home, we're going to have a game night. We're going to play Parcheesi. We're going to play Uno, whatever. And when you are losing, we're going to practice handling those feelings. So it might be anger, frustration, 
sadness, you absolutely want to let your kid have those feelings, but then you want to have them practice with words saying to the person who won, oh, I am so disappointed that I lost, but you played a good game. And you can even say to your kid, what would you say if you lost? What would you say to the person who won? Practice it. Give them the language. Model that for them. Maybe if you're watching professional sports, you're watching a tennis match and they come up to the net at the end and they have a few words with each other. You see at the end of a football game, the one guy searches out the other guy that he used to play with. Give your kids some examples and some visuals of people managing those feelings and using words to talk about them. Because what often happens is you've got a kid who's having difficulty losing. Maybe they quit. They ruin the game for everybody else. They do the old take the ball and go home. You've got to fill in that gap with some concrete language. You're going to tolerate the feelings. They don't feel good. We're going to put a name to them. And then we're going to practice what do you say and what do you do when you lose? We want to make it really concrete. I think I was a fair winner or loser when I was socially with my friends. But I had an older brother. He wasn't really very nice to me. If I won a game against him, that became like symbolic. And I might not have been a very good winner or loser in a sibling dynamic. And so I bet that that's going on with a lot of families that it's not really just about the game. Yeah. So then we've got sibling competition. Again, sibling competition can take on a very different feel. You're exactly right, Robin. So say you're at the Little League game and you handle it well, but if you're playing Monopoly with your sibling, it goes very differently. It's really helpful and important to talk to kids about how we treat each other when things are not equal, because winning and losing is really stepping into a place where it's not equal. And what happens oftentimes with siblings is that there's a lot of resentment or a lot of talk or a lot of arguing about things not being equal. And that's when we hear, that's not fair, right? It's not fair. He gets to go to bed later than I do. Or no fair, she got to go do this thing. Competition at home when you're playing a game is an opportunity to practice. It sounds kind of weird, but it's really true. To practice this domain when things aren't fair. And being able to say to your kids that it's really easy to get along with people when everything feels equal or when everything feels fair. When we're playing games, when we're competing, when we are divvying up resources, when we are different kids and we've got different ages, so we have different bedtimes and we have different interests. Sometimes people say, well, life's not fair. When a kid says, well, that's not fair that that happened, we say, well, life's not fair. I have a feeling you don't recommend that retort. Yeah, based on the way I just said it, right? Well, life's not fair. It's not going to, right, right. What you want to say is, I get right now that this doesn't feel fair in the moment. Because equal isn't always possible. And so if we're going to compete, somebody's going to lose and somebody's going to win. If you are doing something that your sibling is not interested in, then you're going to get more of the goodies. And then sometimes it's going to be vice versa. And it comes back to that skill that I talk about all the time. How do we tolerate when things don't go your way? When you don't get what you want in the moment? And competition and games are a really good way for kids to practice that. Because sometimes things aren't 
fair, right? But we have to be able to tolerate that. What if you're playing baseball and the umpire calls you out and you were sure that you were safe? You're at a birthday party and they hit the pinata and you really wanted that last tussie roll and somebody else grabbed it right before you got it. Being able to tolerate that feeling of not getting what you want in the moment is really, really important. And remember, I said tolerate the feeling because we want to acknowledge that the feeling's going to be there and it doesn't feel good. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option. 
option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Okay, so now back to the show. Interestingly, I wasn't really thinking that this is where the episode would go, but of course I now see so many of these skills ultimately kind of fall under the main umbrella of the key preventative skills. So this is ultimately sort of an issue about rigidity and flexibility. Correct. Therefore, if this is really resonating with you when you think about one of your children or those feelings, this is ultimately about rigidity and how do you promote flexibility. Yeah. When kids are bad losers, when kids have a really difficult time tolerating losing, it's very often because they are rigid. They have to have things go a certain way. They're not good at tolerating when the outcome isn't what they want. And it really does come back to rigidity very often. It doesn't feel good to lose, but it's good practice. It's good practice to not get what you want. It's good practice to have to be a gracious loser, to say to somebody, oh, you played a really good game, or oh my gosh, I can't believe you got that last lucky roll when we were playing Parcheesi. Think about this, parents, as you're playing games with your kids and you're competing, be aware that teaching them how to lose and having them tolerate the blockade on the Parcheesi board or the person getting the ice cream float on the Candyland board, all of that stuff is good practice for tolerating when things don't go your way. You don't want to raise a child who has the expectation that the world is going to meet their every need, particularly if you want these kids to hang out with other kids, because it ain't going to happen. What were your favorite games that you played with your two siblings? Oh, well, we had some silly games because we made up games a lot. I don't know if they were competitive games. We had this game called Bing It. Ask your husband about Bing It. It was like this Nerf ball that you would hit back and forth. And then we had a lot of contests, I think, too, of physical contests of doing things. Yeah. What did you like to play? Favorite board game of all time is still Clue. We were talking about Clue the other day. My kids were saying that they hate Clue. One of my kids was saying he hates Clue. But I like Clue. That's a good deductive reasoning game. Yeah, I love that one. And I love Scrabble. I used to play Scrabble with my granny. Me too. Yeah, so Scrabble's a great game. So playing games is just a really good thing in families. If you have somebody who's a bad loser, you really want to work on this skill. Last question, and then this is a mini episode, but in terms of appropriate age and development, it is true that there is a point where a child is too young to be really graceful with this. But by what age would you like to say the seeds should be there for developing good winning and good losing skills? Probably by about like five or six. 
when you're playing simple games, so you're playing Go Fish or that kind of stuff. If you've got a five-year-old and you're playing Go Fish and they throw the cards at you when they're not getting the matches, you really want to address that directly. Two and three-year-olds don't even understand how all this works. You see running races with parents, right? You see those funny running races and you run really slow so your child can beat you. When they're little, that's a game that we play and that's perfectly fine. But by the time that they're sort of entering school and they're going to be with other kids, you want to pay attention to this. All right. You'll hear us on Friday for a regular episode. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll have another mini episode for you. A fluster cluxette. That's good. Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.